Jay is in the building. How you doing, my brother? Jay is in the building. What's going uh, okay. on? Uh, same old, same old, just... Uh, I really like, you know, that little chill yeah. in the air. Yeah, it's getting it's getting me sick though, and it ain't Rona. Well, do you think you're getting sick, or are you? Because I think nowadays, uh, now we're going into the the cold and flu season, and COVID is still around. So I think a lot of people may confuse the flu with COVID. <clears throat> oh yeah. You already know. Just like every other medical condition where you die, it's COVID. Yeah. Uh -huh. Good evening. All right, guys. I, th I think I'm on. Yeah. Shut the music off. I think I think I got it. We're in. Okay. You there, you there Mike? All right, Jeff. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Right, here. Mike's here. Welcome on the show. What's going on, guys? Yeah, we're good. We're good, man. We're enjoying that chill in the air. Yeah, yeah. It was like the first night. Like it, it's been cool out. It kind of caught me off guard. Oh, I kind of yeah. love it. I like the I like the jacket hoodie weather. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. How you guys been doing? You guys all right? Uh, we're hanging in there. We're hanging in there. We're just looking forward to having a lot of people were uh, looking forward to hearing what you have to say. So uh, I'll let okay. Je I'll let Jeff start off. Hey, I'm just out here trying to serve the community. I mean, people might know I'm an attorney. I'm involved in you know, a lot of things down here in this area. Um, today, I was out on a, at a food distribution event we do every week in Ozone Park. We serve between 750 to 1,000 families every week. So I'm very proud of that work that we're doing. Uh, that's the Ozone Park Block Association, the Kiwanis, various organizations and, and community members up there uh, working on that. Uh, this morning, I was actually out at a paddle out for Laura Deckelman, a good friend of mine, obviously, who passed away, Rockaway's favorite photographer. You know, I was with, on the Rockaway Ferry Committee with her. So that was a good event out there with the surfers uh, in Rockaway. I was at the uh, team up to clean up, they called it, in Howard Beach earlier today. I was organizing some park cleanups and some, some other members of the community have been uh, involved in that. You know, during COVID, things kind of slowed down. So there needed to be some gaps filled and we kind of stepped up to do that and very proud of the community all for coming together uh with that i don't know if you guys saw i recently hosted a zoom conference that i streamed on facebook talking about the uh, keeping the parks clean and also the religious rituals that happen there we're kind of trying to build that bridge between yes. the religious community mm -hmm. and uh the neighborhood and, and and you know educate people about what these rituals are and also how they can be done in an eco-friendly way that doesn't leave anything behind because uh there are there, there are more members of the community now, uh, you know, the Hindu community, the, uh, the the religious folks who actually are stepping up and saying that it's actually against our religion to harm the earth and to, you know, to, to leave pollution and things like that. So I think it's all about building these bridges and uh, you know, bringing people together and serving the people. You know, that's, that's what I'm into doing. Excellent. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Um, you want to do you want to touch more on your attorney background, like, you know, give people more of an insight because that's your main career, right? Yes. Yes, it is. And uh, people always ask, what kind of law do you do? It's, it's kind of funny. In law school, you don't really specialize in one thing like you would say in you know, med school if you were to be a doctor. So the benefit to that is you can get involved in different types of things. And I have. I haven't really done any criminal law, but on the civil side, you know, I've done a lot of obviously done a lot of election law because I'm involved in local politics, but also civil litigation, all kinds of cases. You know, somebody suing somebody it doesn't have to be over money. 
Sometimes it's, you know, suing the city, trying to get them to change the way they're doing things. If something is happening uh, unfairly or, if, you know, they're, they're not doing something in accordance with the law, the Constitution, you can take them to task on it. That's something like that is always uh, something I look forward to doing, because that's really why I went to law school to kind of help people mm -hmm. and inspire that positive change. You, know, you feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Okay. And, and how, how you how you think that transition is uh, when you when you step out in the community? Are you always viewed as a lawyer or is it or is it sometimes you're just Mike? Sometimes I'm just Mike. I was actually getting ready for the food distribution yesterday and someone made a comment that like, oh, you know, like this guy's my lawyer. They're kind of just like, like joking around like if I get in trouble, you know, he's my lawyer. And someone else in the room said he's a lawyer. I thought he was a politician. So, so not everyone knows. You know, people, people think of me as like, different things depending on how they know me, you know? Wow. Well, well, Mike, you said something that that jumped out when you when you first were talking about the food drive. Mm -hmm. Can you run that number? How many families you're feeding per week? Yes, yeah, between seven hundred and fifty and a thousand. Oh, okay. my God, Whoa. that is a lot of families, and uh, you know where are you getting the food from? I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, I I'm I'm glad someone is able to to do that on a weekly basis. Yeah. No, it's, I think it's really great. So so it's all donations. Um, honestly, some of the money we put out ourselves, especially initially to pay for it. But at this point, we are getting donations from various sources and you know charities that are, are coming through for us. But the great thing about it is at most of these food pantries you go to, they just hand out boxes to people. And oftentimes, you know, they'll have all kinds of things in the box that you might not like. And so a lot of food will go to waste that way. What we do is we separate all the boxes that come in beforehand. And so it looks like an actual supermarket when you arrive and you pick what you want wow. and it creates a more wow. humane experience and food doesn't go to waste that way. We could feed more people that way. And, you know, I think it's, it's something unique. You take what you want, you, you know, you leave what you don't. Um, and I think that's the best way to do it. And I think that's what kind of makes it such an exciting thing. I'm, I'm so proud to be a part of that. And, and this is done basically on the mainland. Yeah. It's an ozone park uh, right off of cross bits on Rockway Boulevard. Really? So now, um, Oh, I'm sorry. You guys, you guys should come check it out, by the way. Everyone is welcome to come. It's every Saturday we do it at 11 o'clock in the morning. Every Saturday. Have every you ever Saturday. tried Have you ever tried your your style uh, food distribution in Rockaway? Because that sounds like it's really uh, – it's, it's different from what I've been yeah. seeing. Yeah, we would like to do that. Maybe we could do like a satellite version of it there. It, there's just a lot of overhead because, we, you know, obviously it's not just Saturday. The food will come in during the week and then we have volunteers mm -hmm. who will stay late separating it all, setting it all up. I mean, it takes okay. a lot of work. Um, we have up to 50 volunteers every week working on this. So it is wow. a pretty big operation. Wow. So you also have a community that is actually very, very engaging in Old oh, yes. Park. They, they step up to the task because that's a – 50 people, man. I mean, sometimes we struggle just to get 10 to do anything. 10? What about five? Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, so that, well, that's yeah. amazing that, they, you know, and, I, and you know what? I think a lot of these people need to be commended. They need to be recognized more for what they're doing. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, you, know, and you had a great idea. You know, if we can bring a version of it to the Rockaways, that would be great. Right. Cause, if it's cause, just like a pop-up or, you know well, what I mean? Like, if it, like, like a satellite I mean, version. I, I like the idea job. for every neighborhood, really. Yeah, right. even, yeah. You, you know, and, and you know, just... a report just came out saying that this area, South Queens and, you know, Ozone Park, Howard Beach, even and the Rockaways are the most underserved or among the most underserved areas when it comes to this. Really? I well, mean, I... you would never you would never guess that with all the pantries we have out here. Right. 
Well, I'm, but, but 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 I mean, I hear it's even bigger in other areas. People say you go to, you go into Brooklyn, you you pass, uh, you know, a synagogue or a church, and you you bust loads of food all day long. I mean, they, they, there's more abundance in other areas. You know, you wouldn't know unless you, unless you actually saw it. What you know is so frightening about when we think about it is you're constantly seeing corporations making uh, so much profit in the last quarter. And you're, try, you, you, you're wondering how they're making this profit when there's so many people that are out of work and don't right. even have food to put on their table. Right, right. And the amount of people who show up indicates that this is not a COVID issue. This is not new with COVID, right? Obviously, COVID made things worse for a lot of people, but people have been hungry. You know what I mean? Like this has been going on and it really exposes that. Wow. I, 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 but but you know what? It's, it's something that is, is kind of... It's not, it's almost like it's taboo. Like they don't speak about it as much as they should, mm. you know, because w when you look, you know, we're going into an election season. So, you know, now you hear all the mudslinging from, from both parties and, you know, and I, I, I think, you know, when you have so many slogans out there, we're making America great. So how are you making America great when America is starving? Right. Right. When America no, is no, out right. of and it, it almost is like an attempt to reverse the actual situation and, and say, like, the other party or the other person is already in charge. Like, but, but you know, this is all happening under your watch. <laughs> exactly. It's a psychological trick. I, I agree with you tenfold. You know, I, me and Jeff always call it politics. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Mike, me and Jeff, we kind of like, you know, we're like boxers, man. We just go in the ring and we just let it all out. We don't really hold back. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's pretty much because, uh, well, well, Mike, let me ask you a question. Yeah. How do you feel about the elections on what's going on in, in the current climate in America right now? Yeah, no, it's a crazy, crazy, polarizing, divisive, sad time in America for a number of reasons. Of course, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing away last night really, I think, drives that point home. And it really emphasizes how important this election is. And, and you know, just it's, it's you know, can 2020 get, get, get any worse or get, get any heavier? I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it, it takes me back to the point where I remember in one of President Obama's final speeches in the White House before it was time for him to go. Mm -hmm. And. I used to think this man was seriously exaggerating. Like, I thought it was a very exaggerated speech at first because I'm like, this guy can't be sitting here making it seem like we're all going to die. You know, we're all going to, you know, death to America and stuff like that. When he said, you know, uh, the next election is very pivotal, people. Right. And, um, you know, this is I can't tell you guys how how dangerous and how important is next election? I'm like, all right, they all say this. They it's keep like the boy who cried fear. wolf, right? Like you hear it every single but, time. It just becomes a talking point, right? It, 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 yeah, until yeah, it actually yeah. became serious. But then it, it's almost like this man knew that this stuff was going to happen. Now, I'm not trying to be some wacko conspiracy theorist here, but it seems like Obama knew that we were going to lose two Supreme Court justices, now three. Uh, it seems like he knew well, that, that there was going to yeah. be an event like George Floyd. It seems like he knew that America was going to now really being a crossroads. And I'm like, how did this man know this? You know, it makes me wonder. I'm not going to say it was a good guess. I'm sorry. I don't think it was a good guess. He knew something. Well, he, I, let me interject on that. Um, Obama served for two terms, first African-American president in our lifetime. 
so you had uh, factions in place that some. I I feel that America has uh, gained ground uh, as opposed to where we are now, as to where we were 60, 70 years ago. However, I feel that the current administration is trying to turn the, the hands of time back and take us back to 1950. Mm-hmm. So when you're constantly adding fuel to a fire and you're uh, not really tackling the problems that are really affecting everyday Americans, but you're throwing out other things to cause division between the races. To me, that's not leadership. Right. That's not leadership because you're really not addressing the problems. You're pitting people against one another. And I think when the smoke clears, when people pay attention to all of those laws and executive orders that have been passed, when you start reading these documents and finding out what's going on, I think most of his followers will probably say to myself, gosh, man, we've been hoodwinked. Well, like you said, it's politics. I mean, if you go issue by issue, I think even a lot of Trump supporters would be against him. I think they'd be on the other side. I think that's generally how it goes, right? But it's it's the cult of personality. It's you know that the populism, whatever it is, appeal to certain things. Uh, sometimes, honestly, an appeal to uh, America's dark side. And and you know, uh, I think President Obama was right in predicting that could come about. Hmm. Interesting. Well, well, Mike, um, I think I had a question for you as for. A small side from the national issues, though. How do you how do you view New York City going forward? What is the future like in New York City these next four years? Well, I do think it's more tied to the national climate than people want to acknowledge. Yes, we need better leadership in the city, and we'll see how the, the administration changes and the city council changes and all that going forward. But people need to realize that the national economy, for example, plays a big role in what go, goes on in the city. You can tie economic figures to crime history, you know, crime rates throughout history. So people shouldn't look at these things in a, in a vacuum. Um, so I do think that's, that's an important point to make. But specifically when it comes to New York City, I do think uh, we need better leadership. And, and, and that's not even only about idea, ideology or anything like that. It's oftentimes about style, right? Leadership style, management style. And, and and, you know, this is a good opportunity, I think. I try to look on the bright side. I think we have these elections coming up where most of the city council seats are open. When, you know, we, we, we know we'll have new citywide officials. It is a new opportunity to get us closer to where we want to be. And, and how, how so? How, how close do you think we can be? Like, as far as, like, separate ideal, uh, you know, mm-hmm. ideals and different, you know, subject matters of that. But how do, how do you feel about how the policy changes will, will, will come about? Like, you know, what movement or, or what do you think is the centerpiece to, to what we should be tackling on in New York. I know a lot of people will say housing or crime or anything like that. What, what specifically in your mind do you think really needs to be addressed? Well, like I said, I think leaders with more actual uh, leadership uh, abilities, qualities, maybe even experience, depending on the role that they're running for. Um, I think people who can actually bring policy to the table and actually have the ability to get something done. It's not just about being an, an activist or going on Twitter and, and you know retweeting the talking points or, or using the right hashtags, right? It's about actually being able to come to the table and have the leadership skills and have the experience and the, you know, the, the whole toolkit 
necessary to actually get stuff done. And, and you know, that's not always pretty. It's not always sexy. You know what I mean? It's sometimes it's kind of like some nitty gritty stuff that needs to happen at, at these tables. But um, yeah, I think that's what we need. I think pe- people with the right experience and, and the nuance and the right fits for their district. It's not a one size fits all approach, but I think if we have people with actual concrete policy positions who can articulate those policies and have the skill set needed to, to get some things through, I think we'll be in better shape. So, so what could you do about that? <laughs> what could I do about it? Uh, I can advocate for, for good uh, people running. I, to tell you the truth, Let's uh, look. even look at the mayor's race. It's so wide open right now. I don't even know who's emerging uh, as the favorite. I know there are a few favorite candidates. Um, so that's interesting to look at um, locally. Um, of course, I ran for office before. It's something I've, I've continued to think about. And I do think I am uniquely situated in some ways to do that. I've got experience, obviously, as, in the private sector as an attorney, so I know how the law works, but also on the public side, having worked in government before and having written le- legislation and helped pass some bills into laws, um, I, I do think that I am situated to do that. So we will be thinking about this uh, more. Uh, I am not really talking more, much about it because we have the presidential election, which we discussed, you know, how important that is. But after the election, uh, I, I do plan to make, make an announcement about my plan. Yeah, why, why, is, why is the president, presidential election so important to you, um, you know, regardless of what well, you, you fear that maybe there'll be another Trump presidency or do you fear maybe, you know, that can that can actually, you know, turn over to what you're going to run for? Because um, the reason why I'm asking you this mm-hmm. is because I know that you're running in a district that is that is heavily involved with Republican control in the most part. Well, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a strong Republican base in the district. So I'm wondering if you're. It, it, you're well, well, let me, let me say. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm saying it is one of the swing districts in the city, right? One of the few. But if you look at the numbers, it's actually still three to one as far as Democratic enrollment is concerned. Um, it, I think it's becoming more Democratic, to tell you the truth, if you look at the changing demographics of the district. I, and I would agree I think with that. People vote. Not even not even, you know, down party lines so much in the district. They vote for the best person. And, you know, I think I would be someone who would be uh, qualified. And pe- I think people would put their trust in me if I chose to run as, as someone who could represent the district. It's it takes unity right now. I mean, we started off by talking about how divided the country is. Yeah, I think uh, South Queens is, is a microcosm of that. When you look at the diversity, uh, just in terms of the geography and the you know different religious groups we, we mentioned and different, obviously, ideological uh, spectrum. You, you, you can run, run it from left to right. Um, I, I think that's also an opportunity, right? It's an opportunity to bring people together with the right leadership. I, I think we could show uh, or, or set an example for the rest of the city and the, and the rest of the country, quite frankly. Very good. You know, I very well said. And I'm, I'm going to tap on a few that the first thing I would want to stop start on is there's a huge homeless problem in America and in, in New York City. I mean, it's, it's nationwide, but New York City has a really bad problem. And I don't like the fact of warehousing people that need a place to live permanently. Right. And I, I think we're wasting funding by paying hotels, mm-hmm. wealthy land barons to kind of warehouse human beings when they need permanent uh, yes. shelter. Absolutely. It's crazy if you look at the amount of money that's spent and quite frankly wasted on this. Uh, you can give people like you can literally give someone an apartment for less money than we spend warehousing them in unsafe and unlawful 
conditions, quite honestly. I mean, I am the attorney on a lawsuit that's ongoing. COVID did uh, put it on pause, and we know the situation was adjusted based on the situation. But yes, it's, it's, it's a major issue. I think that, like you said, warehousing is not the right way to go for a number of reasons. It's, it's wasteful, it's inhumane, it's dangerous, it's unlawful in many conditions. Uh, it's just not the right approach to the issue. Now, we will be putting out a plan or, you know, my vision for addressing the homelessness issue within the next few weeks. It is something that, that I am working on um, that I hope anyone running for office, you know, anyone involved in city government can look at and take seriously, you know, maybe adapt it as their own. Exactly. Because when, when you look in, in, in New York City and when or, or especially in, in Queens, in the southeast Queens, when you hear of a hotel opening up, the first thing we think is that's going to be a shelter. People think that, yeah. People were saying that about the, the, the Rockwell Hotel, which is far from the truth. It's absolutely not going to be. But yeah, you're right. Anytime there's any talk of a hotel, that's where people go. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, real, I, I'm sorry. I got to interject on this. Everybody yeah. knows how I feel about this. And I'm sure you heard other episodes. That mm-hmm. new Rockaway Hotel, for one, I understand there's some very, very big millionaires behind that as far as also it's a community-run um, hotel as well. So the people are from the Rockaways, correct? He says community run, yes. Yeah, it's community run. However, if the Hilton or Bally's or Caesars can do it in Atlantic City, what what's stopping what's stopping this hotel from doing? From from doing what? From renting to homeless people? Yeah, because I mean in Atlantic City, these five star hotels now, like the Claridge and all these places, the Harris, the Bogota, they have homeless people in. Right. No, I mean, I know the people involved in this hotel. They honestly, they're involved in the same fight we are. I don't think that they would do that. In fact, I know they wouldn't do that. Uh, it's, it's just not something that they're, they're looking to do. Right. Well, I mean, they, you know, money, money talks, though, man. I'm just saying, I just hope that there's some accountability that's going to be placed there because that's a very beautiful hotel they have. And I would really, I would really hate for the owners, and this is me speaking to them directly, mm-hmm. I would really hate for them to ruin such a beautiful place that they have there just for a few couple of million dollars. The city gives them very, very lucrative deals. Well, well he, he, here's the thing that's a, that's a problem. When you put that amount of money into a hotel, usually with the beautiful landscape that we have over here, the ocean, you have, it's a destination. So to attract people to that destination, you have to have something for them to do. Now, in, the, sum, in the summer months, it's popping out here. In the winter, it's kind of dead. So one smart thing that, you know, they have restaurants, so they have, uh, like, I think right. I had, they have catering space in there. They've got but all I, kinds of space, right? Performance space, conference correct, space, correct. event space, yeah. But I, I can tell you, 10 years ago, we were on a committee called the Rockaway Task Force, and we came up with ideas that we submitted to Bloomberg on what we can bring to the Rockaways to kind of make it more vibrant and make it more attractive. So we brought up ideas for the Neponset home, which is slated by the state and the city for something health and or slash recreation. We also put in there that maybe the old um, Navy base or in Fort Tilden could be transformed into a museum. People like museums. That's why a lot of tourists come to Manhattan. So if we had attractions out here or maybe an indoor recreational facility on the water, or you could possibly have a convention center 
that brings people. So when a convention center comes, what comes within the area? Restaurants, uh, little boutiques and, and hotels. Why aren't we thinking like that? See, you know, you get the federal level, the state and the city level, and you have all these electeds. Why can't they sit down and figure this out? If you go oh. to any other mm-hmm. oceanfront community mm-hmm. from down to Myrtle Beach or Virginia Beach, they have something that attracts people that brings them there. So once you get in a hotel, okay, I want to go out. I want to have something to eat. Or I want to take a look at something historical. Why isn't there a museum in Rockaway with so much history here? Why? No, no, there, there, there should be. There should be more attractions. We need to be careful, of course, with anything we do to make sure that people who are living here now can continue to enjoy to live here and not be priced out of their neighborhoods. We want to make sure that people can open businesses who are locals and who, you know, we want to make sure that there are robust local hiring goals and, and all that. Uh, but I agree with you in terms of needing more development and you know, just need more attractions, as you put it, uh, if done in a responsible way. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, we always talk about how we need better transportation out here. One of the arguments against that that we always hear is that it's not warranted because we don't have the ridership. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not economically developed enough. Some some would say, and that's a great way to uh, to justify. It. It on the West, if we had right? the economic activity, we would then justify things like better transportation, better infrastructure. You know, uh, a hospital, another hospital for crying out loud, right? These exactly. are things that would would be justified uh, in the. I mean, they are now, in my view, but you know, in 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 the powers that be, if you wish, in their eyes, if uh, if we did have that development. Hmm. Well, if, if you look back 150 years ago. And you look at photographs of the Rockaways and you saw all of these hotels and you saw all kind of risk. How they were able to do it back then. And everyone was driving because you, you really didn't have uh, the Long Island Railroad or, or, or the subways coming out here until a certain point. So pretty much everyone that came out here probably drove out here. But I, I you know, when, when Sandy hit and destroyed the entire boardwalk. There was one, one time I had a, a conversation with, with Councilman uh, Ulrich, and he felt, and he said to me, he said, I think we're rushing things with the boardwalk. I think they need to think this out, and, and possibly with all that wasted land between the boardwalk and the sidewalk, maybe have uh, restaurants built in certain areas of the peninsula that could function year-round. Right. You know, like we don't really have like uh, we we're surrounded by water, but where's the a real decent seafood restaurant? Sure. And, and of course, you know, private business needs to be done privately. You know, the government can't dictate which businesses open. Right. But I do think that we can uh, provide the right incentives and, and kind of, you know, help <laughs> help bring about that kind of change we want to see here. Um, I mean, I, I can interject with this. Uh you know, you brought up a few points about making sure people don't get priced out the neighborhood and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, saving local business, which I'm a big supporter of small businesses. I feel like uh, I get I get better food and better service from small businesses. However, right. it is important that we have a strong connection with our council members, our representatives, and have a strong community together to where we can form a way of keeping people here employed with these yes. new attractions that come here. Um other than that, I mean, I, I think it's so simple to fix. I, I think all these excuses that we constantly make up here at Rockaway come from hidden racism. A lot of it comes from people just not wanting things because you've just got people out there who don't want nothing. 
I mean, that's just a fact. There's people there that don't want nothing. You have hidden racism agendas. You have other people who feel like, oh, let's just build more housing. Let's just keep people here. Let's just make this place where people just come and sleep. I don't think there's no more, get up in the morning. more hidden racism in America. It's not hidden. It's it's in your face now. Uh, well, what yeah, I mean by hidden ugliness, right? But but it, it, yeah. it's certainly less hidden. I think it's more overt than it used to be. Yeah. You know, what I mean by hidden racism here, Ed, is when you have a certain train that comes only on peak hours of the day and then there's nothing in between. And mm. they'll tell you, oh, it's ridership. Well, if it was really ridership, I mean, if we had things out here to do and there were people who wanted to come out here at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm sure they would get on the train and they'll come out here. So save me the whole ridership argument. A lot of that has to do with them not wanting a certain dynamic to come in their neighborhoods. Well, and that's all over. That's not just here. That's all over America. Okay. Well, when you when you look at it locally, can you guys find an active chamber of commerce in Rockaway? Because usually no. a chamber of commerce is responsible for trying to attract these franchises, you know, to come in here to better the community. Whenever you go somewhere, when, when we take road trips and we come into towns, one of the first things we see is that chamber of commerce. We don't have that here. Now, I think if the community boards, not just community board 14 but citywide had a more active role in decision making instead right. of being a rubber stamp for something that's been decided in some back room and throw and thrust upon you i think maybe a lot of communities can grow because you have that community input right when everything is quote unquote advisory then like you said it's a rubber stamp or, or worse i mean you could have the community board object and <laughs> be completely disregarded because they have no real teeth to anything they do and that was one of the things that i focused on last time and something that i'm still big on giving local community boards more authority than they have they can't have total control obviously right there has to be some give and take here but uh, i do think that that they should have ways to interject and say you know listen you know this plant's being proposed we don't like how it's being done we would like you to come to the table and sit with us and you know these are the concerns we have and you know if they can't reach a i actually wrote a bill about this if they you know and it went, went kind of like if they couldn't reach a resolution on their own there were certain mechanisms that kicked in and said okay you're entitled to a hearing before this commissioner and you know there are things that that had to happen just to give them a little bit more power i also think by the way that our local elected officials assuming we have strong community boards that are representative of the community i think they should be deferring to them a lot more instead of dictating what happens hmm. interesting i i I couldn't agree with but you. But you need the boards to be truly representative, right? That that does need to be something that, that needs to happen as well. Wow. Well, I, I also feel that I also feel that community boards should not be formed into multiple council districts because what well, what is the point? Every district is going to have its own unique problems. That's why it's split up in the city as it is. Right. I, I don't understand why we have a community boards across the city that are spreading out against different districts. Right. That could be something to look into as well. Mm, you know, and then you then you'll end up having a community board similar to like with Congress and any other any other uh, government body where you'll have majority from one side of town and less of the other. And it's not there's no there's no standard really on who to appoint and keep it balanced. Like, all right, is this person from District 31, this person from yeah. District 32. Right. But yeah. even if it was just a council district, you could still have those same issues. You know, how many people from this neighborhood versus that neighborhood, et cetera. Mm. Well, each area has their own unique problems, you know, so uh, and some 
are, are, are pretty much the same, but uh, I, I, I do agree. There's uh, there needs to be some adjustments and tweaks and and um, and changes as to input on to what takes place and where you live, instead of it being thrust upon you, like in the middle of uh, 40, 44th Street or wherever that is, and they put a La Quinta hotel. Well, we all know that's not a destination. So a lot of people pretty much knew that was going to be a shelter. Mm -hmm. And then we had another one further on Mata Avenue. That became a shelter. But when you start connecting the dots, you see the same land barons involved in the game. Right. So uh, who's playing Monopoly with these communities with these homeless yeah. shelters and, and so it's, it's people's it's people's lives and, and you know what exactly. we talk a lot about homeless shelters and homelessness but we have to talk about housing as well i mean of course other issues like i was saying you can't look at any of these things in a vacuum but uh housing is very important um and that's also something we'll be putting out soon you know i, I want to talk about my housing plan you know how i would address that in the city uh well would you uh would you be would you be kind enough to come back on air and, and discuss that further when oh, you absolutely. drop it? yeah absolutely Right. Okay. Well, an, another pressing issue that that is plaguing our city is public safety. How do you feel about the level of crime and what's going on and and police response and and why is it all of a sudden out of control? How do you feel about it? What's your opinion? No, I really believe, like I was saying earlier, that this is tied to COVID and the economy. I think when people can't get jobs, you know, they can't, they don't have a paycheck. Uh, you're going to see crime go up. And so you do need to make sure that you're addressing the issue of crime on its own, but you can't look at it as its own issue, as its own standalone issue, right? You have to get to the bigger problem, which is economic opportunity. And, and you know, and, and even things like housing and those other things that we're talking about, right? If you can, uh, if you can solve all these issues and kind of look at it at a macro level, I think you're better off than if you're just looking at it like I have to put out every little fire that, that sparks. Mm. I mean, you know, it's uh, I, I kind there's, there's of there's a direct correlation whole, between crime and unemployment. Yeah, but I, yeah, there is a correlation, but I also disagree that we're going to use this virus as all of a sudden this is the main reason why it's been a spike in crime. This was something building up for years now, and COVID kind of accelerated it, in my opinion. Uh, you know, this city was already on the verge of changing because of well, a lot of the things. So, of, so let me ask you, what do you think sparked it if it wasn't COVID, given that we did have good crime numbers pretty much prior to this? Well, the crime numbers are also very constant is also not very accurate either, because I can tell you there's shootings, there's shootings all the time where I live at. They don't they go unreported. So that that's one. Okay. And two, a lot of it had to do with the gentrification and the mass, the, the, the mass amount of people who were coming into the city taking jobs, just like a lot of people in some of your peeps, man, were all for this Amazon plan that was horrible for the city. You know, everybody in the city thought they were getting those jobs and they really weren't. You know, these are just people coming from other states and they're going to get those jobs that, the again, like you said, unemployment numbers for the most mm -hmm. part before COVID were not that bad. Unfortunately, though, you had a lot of people who were priced out of their neighborhoods. They couldn't afford rent. So they had to they had to go somewhere else. But that's and why you do need leave. strong local hiring goals. You do need to make sure that anything that you do is done, not just with the cooperation right. of the community, but that the community benefits. A from absolutely. It. But you're not going to sit up here and tell me just because you lost your job, you're going to go out there and shoot somebody because that just don't make any sense. Well, you I, know, I, I think an, another thing that is playing a role in, in the spike in crime is this 
is bail reform. There you go. The policies that we have gotten so loose on as well as another thing. You know, this musical chairs of, of committing a crime, getting arrested, and then being out in 72 hours just to repeat the whole cycle and do it over and over again. I, yeah, well, I, I think, there, there are no. I, I agree. There are a lot of issues to look at. That's why I say you can't look at these things in a vacuum. I don't think you can say it's just one thing or another. It's it's all of the above. And I, I guess that goes back to my point earlier about needing someone or needing people in general in office who can navigate this. You know what I mean? It's not just about uh, retweets and 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 checking the right boxes. It's about someone who can actually look at all these issues, uh, put plans together, put policy together, work with folks on on building consensus, building coalitions, building bridges, and getting things through. Well, it, it, it comes down to uh, the are we really defunding the police or is that just like a fancy word to make people think that money is being taken away from the police department when in actuality it really isn't? Right. Well, it's, it's the phrasing. It's, it's the messaging also a lot of, a lot of the times. Like uh, I think of that, that Kanye song, uh, Power, where he says it's a really bad way to start the conversation. That line always pops up when I hear certain phrasings like that. I mean, I think it's about how you talk about issues, too. And, you know, you, could, you can start off the conversation yeah. with the, the wrong phrase and, and it automatically puts everyone or, or at least half the people on the defensive. Uh, and then you really can't get where you're trying to go. Well, yeah. Well, you just pushed something that was very important. A lot of people understand that uh, these people who are behind this defund police and all of that, a lot of them are very radical. They're very sporadic. They don't have a concrete plan, really. They just they just out there all about whatever they want and not being very clear on what the agenda right. is. Or, or, right. Really... Or, or different people might have different plans or different ideas or different visions, yeah. but it kind of gets confused when exactly. you're not articulating exactly what you want to do. You're just sticking to the hashtags, like I said. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's coming from both sides. It's not just politicians. I feel like there's a lot of organizations out here and, and activists, too, that are just all over the place and just using trendy topics to, to get their agenda right. forward and to bring right. in grant money and, and stuff like that. But just to touch back on you, I, I want to know your opinion, honestly, about uh, changing funds, moving funds over to another uh, a, another entity, another city entity, which, in my opinion, I've said, stated on the show plenty of times, I don't think that solves anything, really, just pushing money from one dysfunctional agency to another, but I just want to hear from you. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there is a lot of waste, and you can't just push money around. You actually have to have a, a good plan. It's not just about the money. It's about what are you doing? What are you funding, and how are you funding it? How are you implementing it? Um, it's about reconstruction of the budget. Um, you know, I've talked, I've talked about... Uh, giving more money to social workers to handle certain uh, issues that maybe don't need a police response when, when it's not an actual crime, uh, things like that. But I think the way to talk about this is supportive. It's supportive of a law enforcement and saying, look, we, we're trying to give you tools needed to do your jobs more equitably and fairly and with the public's trust. You know, you, you don't want to start off by saying we're trying to harm you. No, we're trying to come to a solution, a, you know, a positive solution uh, with you at the table uh, that can bring about positive change and reform that yeah, I think is needed on some level, but needs to be done right. Mm. Well, yeah. you know, it's interesting you say that you're trying to help police because the other people on the other side are like abolish police, ACAP, you know, like and you know, right. they, they don't want police. 
these people really don't want police in their there community. Are police, what, what do you say about no, that? No, no, no. There are police officers I speak with who want certain reforms. Like They tell me they're tired of there being a quote-unquote quota system, even though there's not maybe an official one. There's a lot of internal pressure to meet certain quotas every month. That's not a good thing, right? That's a, It's bad for the police officers, uh, and, but certainly bad for the neighborhood and people victimized by that uh, type of system. So uh, that, that's why I say when you come to certain reforms, um, even you know the blue the blue wall of silence, right? There are police officers who say they want to come forward and uh, report certain things, but there is a lot of pressure internally and they feel like they will lose their job or they will be demoted or things would happen to them to be punished if they do. Um, so that's why, again, when I talk about reform, I'm talking about doing things to help the community, but also uh, at the end of the day, it's helping the police do their jobs better in the way they want to do their jobs, right? They don't want to be uh, policing without the public's trust. They do want the public's trust and they, and they know certain reforms need to be made, but I think we need to partner with them and, 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 enact the right reforms here well, well you know i don't i want to know why the politicians then in these unions are not coming to these uh good cops defense then really so what, what does that tell you is this really about just police uh what you say this is more of like a a, a bigger system behind all of this you're saying that the, the unions won't come to the good officers defense yeah why wouldn't these unions and these politicians come to these good officers defense why aren't we protecting their jobs when they come forward with some truth if there's facts behind what their statements are, then why 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 should there be any fear at all? Why can't we Jeff, just step Jeff, out okay, here and say Jeff, we're going to say Jeff, this, have, When you get a chance, Jeff, maybe you should watch the movie Serpico. Hmm. And, the, and, the, and, and this is a true story. And that officer was trying to change the system from corruption and his life was being threatened and his whole life was being turn upside down so they're trust me they're good officers that want to do the right thing and uh maybe the blue wall of silence is making them become silent because yes. it's my thing it's the culture right that's they, they, they're actually fear of of repercussions right. if they do there, there's so many great officers that go out there and do the right thing and you shouldn't have a batch of bad apples that want to use a badge to do things that go against the law and then think you're going to be shielded by it. So I think maybe there's a lot of restructure and training. Maybe you need a better background uh, check when you're hiring these officers. Maybe you need to start checking out some of these social media profiles before you hire these guys. I mean, I don't know why people keep saying this. Like, everybody thinks it's so easy to become a cop. Like, I don't understand why people keep saying this stuff. Oh, we need a better background check. Do so you understand the process of becoming an officer? It, it, it's not like you just sign up, you pass a test, and they give you a badge. Like, that's just not how it works. And, and I think people try to shift the focus of the conversation when they say it's about good apples or bad apples. They're trying to make it about individual right. officers. Of course, th those are issues we encounter. But the larger issue, the more important issue, is it's it's systemic. It's the culture, like we talked about. It's the actual system. Well, yeah, that, that's what up. I was getting at, Mike. You can exactly. go back to that's Bloomberg. You can go back to Stop and Frisk, where he's encouraging it to happen in minority neighborhoods. Right? This is a systemic mm -hmm. issue. This isn't just an individual officer issue. Well, that, that also was the politician as well, egging that on. So why can't we have a politician that says, you know what, good cops, we got your back. You need to come out now. Well, that's what we up. need. No, we absolutely exactly. need that. Exactly. Exactly. Because those officers that want to do the right thing, their lives are endangered even more because of the officers that are not doing what they were hired to do.
That's right. That's exactly right. Well, and let's be honest, like police said, officers' jobs were never safe. Of coming forward, they they were never safe to begin with. Anyway, we understand that. It's a, it is a dangerous, you know, high pressure job. We we absolutely understand yeah, and respect yeah. that. Yes, you know, but you know, when you get to the point that you know you have a young cop, and, and you know the now that you know you know you need to have a certain amount of credit. So you come out of college and you go into law enforcement and you're fresh out of the academy and you walk in the streets and people are looking at you like you're less than a human being. You still have on a uniform, but that same officer has a family. He has a mother. He has children. And, and when you go out into the streets and, and you have this certain element, you're like, okay, what have I gotten myself into? You know what I'm saying? So my thing is, you know, they're always highlighting uh, the negative. Maybe we should focus more on the good. You know what I'm saying? Because you have another generation that's watching what we're doing right now. And if we can't get it right, we're failing these children. And I can tell you for a fact, my kids ask me questions that sometimes I'm like, holy shit. Well, that's why we're at a moment, I think, where it's important to get this reform right. Right. I think that's the way to move forward. But again, it needs to be done um, not in an antagonistic type of way. Right. It can't can't be that. That, That's that's not going to get us move us forward. It needs to be done uh, where we're sitting at the table and having quite honestly difficult conversations. But um, there is a lot of room for reform. There, Like I said, many officers I speak with want to see this. It just needs to be implemented the right way. Well, I also think it's important people as as quick as people are quick to pull their cell phones out and show the bad they do. They need to pull their cell phones out to show the good, you know. That's human and, nature, though. I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I think about, you know, Yelp reviews. People are, people go to a restaurant. They're always going to write the, the negative. It's not often you, you could write a positive review when, when, you, when you liked what happened, when you had a positive experience. I, I, I can tell you this. This right. bothered, and, and go, go, go on. This, this bothered me this week when, when my eight-year-old son says to me, he says, Dad, I hope things get better because things are bad now. Right. I said, Christian, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I just don't want to get shot by a police officer. And that's right. like, and, and that's and that's scary. I mean, it's you know, the, we talk about the good experience versus the bad experience. But what is the good experience? You go on your merry way, right? The bad experience could be the end of your life. And so, so that's, he, that's he's eight years old, and he was like, you know, Dad, I, I, we have cops in our family. I, I see the nice police officers that that I go to the meetings that you take me to, and I see them come to the house but when i look on the news i see people that are black and brown getting beat up and getting shot so then right then and there i had to have a conversation that only black and brown men right have with their young sons the talk yeah i had to i you know what i mean i i had to do it right then and there at eight years old wow exactly at the age of eight so what did you what did you say well, I, I, I told them, you know, there, there's good and bad in every profession. And um, I told them how to basically how to handle themselves in a situation if they're being stopped in the street or if they're being pulled over, how to conduct themselves, what not to do, how to speak in a respectable manner. However, 
Not many people have to have the conversations that I have to have with my children. So it's different. So I'm going to do what I have to do to protect them, to prepare them for this. But what I keep saying is they're watching us. We need to get this right now. We don't need to go back to 1950. This is 2020. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's important for parents to have a conversation with their kids about everything nowadays because everything is so out there and exposed now. I mean, I was the last generation where I was a child and I was around your kid's age and, and there was still, you know, there was MySpace. But, you know, there weren't no rapid social media. There was no Instagram yet. Facebook was just coming out. It wasn't where it's at today. There was not a lot of social media still. And a lot of us didn't have smartphones yet either. Right. Let me ask you something, Jeffrey. Do you think that Twitter has played a role in removing nuance from the conversation and making everything more divided because you you can't write that much as everything's very limited? Oh, absolutely. Twitter is a very I, I stopped using Twitter years now because it was it's very divisive. Um, even if you wanted to put your message out there, you're you're limited. And right. and, and they also censor a lot of crap. And I'm like, yeah, why are you guys censoring stuff that may be the truth for it's a video or you see something that I, I, I don't get it, man. I, I start to think some of these tech companies might really, really are in bed with someone. Jeff, the government controls social media. <laughs> That's it. You know, they can you got Facebook. Trump out here. You got Trump out here with this TikTok nonsense. And, and you know, I mean, I'm not a fan of the TikTok app either. I don't think it serves any type of good to to the new generation whatsoever. I just think it's a lot of silliness that go on in there. But aside from all of that, he's over here coming at another country about their censorship practices. But I don't see you scrutinizing Zuckerberg and, 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 and uh, what's his face? Uh, Jeff Bezos and the guy from Google. You gotta, they, they do some foul stuff to us online, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had to fight with Facebook to get my page back from someone who stole my name. Well, what I find interesting about social media, uh, I guess, in that context, is it's becoming the new public space such that free speech rights might well apply. I mean, obviously, these are privately owned companies, owned by giant corporations, but this is where you think of when you think of the place someone goes to make political speech. You don't think of the, the town square as someone standing on the corner with a megaphone anymore. You, you think about social media, right? You think about Facebook or Twitter, or any of these platforms. And so you do have to start asking, uh, should we have free speech? Should we have constitutional freedoms on these platforms? Oh, look, look, I'm going to ask you this, Mike. Hey, mm-hmm. you can charge me later, right? You can charge <laughs> me later for this legal advice, all right? All right. <laughs> like, le- legally, I've been doing a lot of reading on here and uh, on, on the social media and the constitutional rights we have on. Yeah. It. Uh, my question is, though, they may be a private company so they can fight it and say, you know what, we can choose what we want on our platform. That sounds right. like common sense so far. Right. Follow. Right. Me? However, the World Wide Web is still a public entity across the world. Internationally, it's public. So if you're using your platform on the World Wide Web, wouldn't that kind of debunk them as being a a, a private company where they well, would now have to? It it would be like having a private house that's on a public street, right? I mean, you can still control the kind of speech that happens in your private house. I think the question is more: is it 
is it was it more public than private at this point in character? Um, in California, for example, they decided that you know, the Supreme Court decided a, a, a while back that a public uh, or I should say a privately owned shopping mall is a quasi public space because it's where people go to talk and you know they might leaflet or you know talk to the neighbors, uh, have all kinds of expressive activities happening there. So even though it's a privately owned space, uh, we think of it as public in nature. And I think uh, today. The you know the the world of social media is analogous to that situation. Even though it's privately owned, uh, it's where we're expected to go to make public speech. Right, and you know people's personal information is on there as well. So at the same time, it's their duty to now protect these people as well, because yeah. you're asking for all these personal info. You got their photos up there, where they're from, where they went to school. Hmm. Well, we you know we, it's, it's, wait, scary. Mike, it's crazy. Mike, Mike brought up something very very uh, interesting about a private house on a public yeah. street. So you probably think that whatever you discuss in your house is private. That's no longer true with Alexa. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Everything you're saying is being recorded. I, I can Yeah, assume. it is. And they use it, they use it for, uh, for advertising and all that. And uh, it's not thing just Alexa. Too, I mean, I, some of this is, is yeah. cheap. I mean, I went to the Bronx Zoo and I started seeing ads on my phone about the Bronx Zoo. I didn't Google it. I didn't type it into my phone. Yeah, I was location. just there. Yeah, yeah location. I, mean, I was yeah. there. Yeah, location. Yeah. And, uh, you know, another thing, Mike, you had pointed out, though, and I think that's a very strong case you can make in, in, in the higher in the higher courts is where we all know that your house is your house and it's private, right? Right. But you're still paying property tax to the government. However, now these people think that they can still fly a Confederate flag out their home. And their argument is, well, it's my home. I can do what I want with it. Meanwhile, let's say on the books, morally, morally, I'm against it, of course, as a person of color. But now when you look at the legal side of the things, technically the way the law is written, they're allowed to fly a Confederate flag on their own. Like how, how is... You know, what I'm trying to say is, though, well, it's an oxymoron. Yeah, like, we we you can know, disagree with, with, with the messaging, but hate speech is actually protected by the First Amendment. You know, it's, that's, it is. that's been well yeah. settled constitutionally. And so if they, if that standard can, can, can still apply to them, then it should apply to social media. That's all I'm saying. Then you know what? If he's allowed to put his Confederate flag in his home, then I'm allowed to say what the hell I want on my Facebook. Well, I hear you, and I think that is a developing argument. I think you're going to see more of, of it go that way legally. Uh, however, I think the way it's looked at generally now is that Facebook has free speech, right? Facebook has, has the ability to have what it wants or doesn't want on its own platform. Yeah, and I don't think that's right. I think someone needs to challenge them. I wish I had money because I would definitely go to the higher court and say that they cannot censor content on their, on their platform. It's a public platform still. Well, I mean, and, and, and this gets really, really technical, and I, I will send you the, the legal invoice later. <laughs> no, but uh -huh. but yeah, the, 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 when you talk about the First Amendment, the, the federal First Amendment, right, the, the, our U.S. Constitution, the First Amendment that we all think of is framed as a negative right, right? Congress shall not abridge the freedom of speech. But certain states, New York is one of them, and so is California, in their state constitutions, they provide a positive right, saying that you everyone has free speech. So it's not just that it can't be taken away, but it's that we have it. And that was the basis that the court used in California to determine that you had more rights in a in a pub, in a private space that was quasi public, so it could also come down to what state the speech is happening in, which opens up a whole another can of worms about internet law. Wow. Are you in New York posting on Facebook, or are you in another state that doesn't have that same kind of right? You know, so it, it does get dicey. Interesting. That's very interesting. Well, since we're touching on legal things, 
How do you guys feel about the attorney general calling Black Lives Matter a terrorist organization, yet he has nothing to say about the KKK or these white supremacist groups that are, or Antifa for that matter, that are causing a ruckus Politrix, you said it. You said it yourself. Politrix. I I think the messaging uh, is is. I hate to say. I hate to give the the devil his due, but the messaging on the right about a lot of this is is cunning. In that, uh, after George Floyd, a lot of people were acknowledging uh, the need to have a movement for black lives. People were saying black lives matter who weren't saying that before. Like they finally were coming on board. And I think the right. messaging, almost like a memo came down from, from GOP operatives uh, that stop talking about the movement. It's not about the movement anymore. It's about the organization. So it became, you, you notice they'll say BLM. So, so if someone says black lives matter as a movement, they automatically tie it to a quote unquote organization that they say is this, this. Well, because that. that's what that it is. That was done very intentional. It's really an organization though. It's really an organization. That, that's where the name came from, the organization. But it's a movement. When, when, when someone says Black Lives Matter, they're not saying they support a particular organization, right? They're saying they no, support No, you're right. I understand that. But unfortunately, though, they still tie it into one another. So it's time to use something else. Hmm. Well, well I, again, that goes back to, I think, the right doing a great job at, at muddying the waters and, and you know having that messaging uh, done. I, I think Democrats could do, could do better in that department, messaging. Well, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. After George Floyd died, Black Lives Matter had, for majority, peaceful protests. And I just think that they didn't do a good job with allowing people to just come in and hijack their movement. And they had a lot of these agitators that they weren't denouncing. And I'm sorry, I'm going to tell the truth because I've been at some of these rallies. They were not stopping these people from doing these things. And I'm sorry. If you're holding a rally with your name on it, you need to keep your people in control. Now, I'm not saying that you're gonna, everybody's going to listen to you now. That's not what I'm saying now. You know, But I can really see from my own eyes being there, what I see on TV, there ain't many people stopping some of these agitators. A lot of Jeff, them were allowing it to happen. Jeff, they were when, making expenses for it. When you put these rallies on also selective on coverage. social media, when you put these things out on social media and you have thousands of people attending coming from all over the country, there is no way in the world you're going to be able to control everyone's actions. No, not at all. But unfortunately, though, it's also important for you to go on CNN and, and denounce Antifa, which they still have not done. Well, what, what, did, the, what did the new FD, FBI director say about Antifa? He said it's not an organization. It's an ideology. It is. It is. They're the anarchists. So if it's not an organization, then don't, how don't do you think go? Don't you guys use as a political football more than anything, just just to divide us when we start talking well, about? Well, you could say like, you could say yeah, the same yeah. thing about white supremacy, though. I, you know, you don't have to be the KKK to be a white supremacist, right? Correct. So if you want them to label Antifa, BLM, and KKK as white supremacist groups, it really wouldn't matter if they did it or not, because you still got your lone wolves like that kid that went over there to Kenosha. And, and, and went and killed those two people. I mean, he's a lone wolf. And he's I'm being sure. hailed as a hero. And he's being hailed as a hero. Well, yeah. Well, you know, just like you would you would hail a hero if it was a black guy who did that to someone, you would hail him as a hero too. It's, it's a double standard here. Listen, anytime you're going out and you're murdering people, you're not a hero. I'm sorry. Well, you got black militias though too, you know, and if they went out there and they're protecting their own people, don't you think they got a right to protect their own people too? Jeff, 
he crossed state lines with a, a firearm that he's under age and he comes on into another state. Shoots I, I'm, I'm not talking about him. Kills I'm talking about him. Who are you talking about? I'm talking about if a militia is out there to protect their property and their people, don't they have a right to do that? Because it's in the Constitution. He was a militia. He's part of All the right. militia from... And we, have, we have black militias, and don't you think black militias hold that same right as well? Shouldn't they protect their businesses, property, and people? And what, and what if they went out there and did the same thing? If, if would you speak black, out against it? If, if would you speak out militia, against it? If a black militia cross state lines with a, a legal firearm and kill people, he should be tried. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, some, people, some people would disagree with you. Listen, man. I, I'm just... The, these are the facts. He was underage. He crossed state lines. He committed a crime. Now, every he killed, has he killed white people, people, too. Listen, it doesn't... You shouldn't... What he did was wrong. Morally was wrong, what he did. And his own parents drove him there. People, 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 people have died. I think wrong is wrong, right? It's, there you go. I mean, but you know, at, at the end of the day, you can't have a country, though, that tells people it's okay to defend themselves and bear arms, but then when they do exactly that, everyone cries. That's what I don't get, because I'm telling you, if it was one of us, we would have did the same thing. Y'all can't sit up here and tell me you wouldn't. Uh, uh, Jeff, if you commit the crime... Yeah. If, if you're walking down the street and you are within your rights to have a weapon on you and open carry and these two maniacs come after you and start attacking you you're going to let them you're going to let them kill you Jeff you're missing the point he was underage it doesn't matter he's still a human to carry a fight. he was underage to carry a fight. and he crossed state lines so we're talking about multiple laws being broken shot three people killed two of them his ass should have been home getting ready for school right no, you're right. Well, you can say you can say the same thing about an unarmed black man who dies from police, but he had a long rap sheet. Jeff, you 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 uh, twist. Yeah, I, I don't see that analogy. You, 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 Here's you, the thing: you, you guys are talking like he walked up in there, had the intention of killing people. He was walking down the street, just carrying his weapon. He wasn't pointed at you anybody. Know that? You know his intention. Well, nobody knows their true intention. Do you know the true intentions of any of these other people out here getting killed or out here doing the killing? No, we don't. Jeff, if, if you're not military or a police officer, what is your intention when you're walking down the street with an assault rifle? Well, it depends on the situation. Or again, no, like I said, I'm not saying it's normal. Either I'm not saying it's normal for someone to... You're there to intimidate or use that firearm to take someone down. Well, you know, intimidation, it, it depends on how you look at intimidation. You're only intimidated if you allow yourself to be intimidated. Jeff, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I walk past people in lower Manhattan, National Guard carrying M4s. I don't think they're going to shoot me. They're military. But 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 if everybody military. was walking down the street with firearms, that's intimidating, Jeff, because you don't know. Well, it, you use well, that it is until you have one. It is until you have one yourself. Jeff, we can't have it society living like we're in the wild wild west i i understand that but i'm gonna be honest with you this world ain't this world ain't what people want it to be and it's never gonna be that way like you're gonna have to protect yourself you're gonna have to do some things that you probably in your life would have never thought you would have to do okay jeff who was that young man trying to protect 
He wasn't trying to protect nobody. He was just down there trying to keep the peace at first. That's at least the way I was looking at it until everything went south. They attacked him. You guys act like he went after them. Jeff, his ass should have been home. He's a minor. Yeah, you're right. But, I mean, again, we're living in some very strange times. His stupid-ass parents drove him across state lines. That's all right. And then took him right. That's all right. I mean, that's that's, that's his parents. No, it's not just all right. Because you don't do it. Just, be, just because you oh, wouldn't no. do it as a parent, don't mean somebody else would. So you're condoning the behavior of his parents? No, I'm not condoning the behavior. What I'm trying to say is, is that if that's the decision they made, then that's what they're going to have to live with. And nobody wanted this case, really. They lost their son for the rest of their lives. Now they're going to be doing time for what they chose to do. And you have two other people who have also lost their lives. And their families are never going to have them back again. Unfortunately, though, two wrongs don't make a right here. And I just love how everybody thinks the other two white guys were, were, were angels. And they were out there, you know, peacefully marching. And one had a gun and one hit him with a skateboard. And, you know, all of a sudden, these two now are the victim. And, you know, like, get out of here with that, man. There's got to be a double stand. Yeah, everyone he, just want to take yeah, sides. He was, he was firing that weapon before they even came up on him. That's not true. It's not what the video has shown. Maybe that's not what you saw in the video. So, we're, you know, when it comes to trial, we're going to hear a lot of things you're not being told. But but, but why aren't you denouncing the guy who had a gun? Why aren't you denouncing the other guy who had a gun? I'm not denouncing him. But, Jeff, when you have everybody walking around with firearms, that's a problem. Well, why is that a problem? We have a right to bear arms. How is that a problem? Jeff, you can't do that in the state of New York. So we know that ain't yeah. happening. Well, and, that, and that needs to change. Jeff, I don't think, listen, with, with so much uh, uh, mental illness, I don't think everyone's all right, but, fire all right, but legal, legal gun owners, legal gun owners aren't the ones out there committing the crime. I'm just saying. But the, the legal not. guns aren't the ones killing people like the illegal ones. Anybody can get a gun, whether you ban people from getting guns or not, someone's going to find a way to get a gun. And that 17-year-old did not have a legal firearm. That was an illegal firearm. That a firearm was not registered and it could not be traced back to any Correct. type of gun dealership. So, so he had no way he got that gun. So gun. he committed a crime. He crossed state he lines and so did the other guys. Murder. So did the other guys. They committed a crime too. Why why are you attacking somebody with a weapon? Talking about them. He committed a crime. And so did the others. Jeff, nobody fired at him, Jeff. They sure did. If someone walks up to you, Ed, with a gun in their hand, you think they're coming to give you a hug? Jeff, I didn't see that in the video. I, you know, that's your interpretation. You know, I guess you would have to do it like you do the, the, the uh, Zapruder film and slow it down really slow. And then maybe I could see that. But from what I've seen, I just saw them. They looked like they were trying to take the rifle away from me. Hey, Mike, Mike, what's your take on guns? What should take on guns? Well, well, no, hold on a second. You said something that was, I thought, interesting, uh, trying to get back to, uh, I guess, law and policy here. You said that you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but, but basically it doesn't matter if you have restrictions on, on gun ownership in the first place. Like people who basically, yeah. anyone who wants it is going to get one. Yeah. Your criminals are going to find a way to get a gun just like they find a way to get drugs in here, right? Yeah, but the thing is, if you look at the guns that are recovered in crimes committed in New York, you can just take New York. 
Uh, I believe I saw a stat that said 85 to 90 percent were uh, originally from out of state and they're from a state where the gun laws and the gun regulations were much uh, more lenient. So uh, I do think there is something to be said about availability. And one of the things I was proposing, and I think would still be a good idea, just to inform the public, I think whenever a gun is recovered from a crime, if we can trace its origin, I think that should go online. I think the public should be able to see which state it came from, because I think that would shut down a lot of this talk about uh, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Uh, people, people say, uh, you know, this city is dangerous. Where are the guns coming from? If, if, and, if that's, I, if that's the argument, where do they, those where guns they originate? will come from all 50 states. I guarantee you, most, well, hold on a second. you'll find a gun from all 50 states. No, mo most of them came from Virginia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania. You know, you can look at the gun laws in those states uh, versus New York. Uh, most of them, like I said, uh, 85, 90 percent are not coming from New York. Mm. And, and, and you, again, you're a lawyer now. You're telling me that all those states you mentioned, I could just walk up in there, no background check and buy a gun. It's a lot easier. I'm, I'm not saying that there are no restrictions and no regulations. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not in favor of uh, banning uh, guns. Right. I'm in favor of the Second Amendment. Oh, uh, like, oh wow. <laughs> my God. We finally got somebody on this show that's. That doesn't want to ban guns. I, oh, I believe man. in a common sense. You are, you are my favorite. I do now. believe in universal background checks. I believe that we should do all we can to keep guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them. And I don't think Correct. that should be a controversial Correct. opinion. Correct. Yeah, and I actually agree with you. I, I, I actually agree with y'all. I mean, I don't think everyone should have a gun, but if anybody that has a clean record and short and short as hell want a gun, they should be able to get one. It shouldn't be all this sitting in front of five chiefs of police and. We all know people who look like me and Ed are not going to be always approved to get a gun and, and, and things like that. Like, we got to make it fair, too, because you're going to go back to now the Black Panther movement. They had to fight to get that same right to bear arms. That's why I don't understand how these black people walking around here talking about, oh, we should be a gun-free zone. And, and all. are you crazy? Do you not know what, that we could not have this at one point? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about in California with Huey Newton and them. I know mm -hmm. you're very familiar with that law yeah. practice that they did. Sure. And I'm very proud of them for doing it because if they can have it, why can't we too? That's very true. Right. And, and again, I don't think you should be banned from having a gun. I think, you know, if you, if you can show you're a responsible gun owner and you don't have any of these issues that would uh, cause a, a valid red flag, you know, I think, you should, I think everyone should be able to exercise that right. I'm very shocked. I'm very shocked by you, Mike. I'm very shocked, man. Like, you made me proud today. I can't believe you really have that stance. <laughs> like, listen, wow. I'm an attorney. I believe are in you, the Bill of Rights. Are you a Democrat, man? Are you a Democrat? I, I, but hold on a second, Jeffrey. I, I do think that is – look, I, and I'm, I'm not going to say I co-sign every single talking point because, you know, I'm not like that. You know, I have my own thoughts. I bring my own ideas to the conversation. Hey, there you but go. I do there think it go. is a pretty universal, uh, no pun intended, but but uh, opinion of, of the Democrats or whatever you want to say or there's people, I think, who are rationally minded on this issue that, uh, yes, we do respect the Second Amendment. We're not trying to abolish it, but – uh, we do want to see universal background checks. We do want to see common sense regulation. It's not about, you go. about uh, prohibition. It's about regulation. So, so are you? So, so are you a supporter of open borders for for uh, you know cross state cross state permits and everything? Do you think that if I get it, if I'm licensed to carry in one state and I pass the background check, shouldn't I be able to just walk right into Ohio or anywhere else or or Montana with my weapon? I do think we, we, we need more uniformity in this area of the law because it, it is very much a federal issue. It's not so much a state issue when guns are so readily transported across state lines. Yeah, there are only about maybe 32 or 33 states that have the reciprocity where if you are legal 
and Virginia, you can go into uh, the Carolinas or other states. Um, I think there was a bill that was, I don't know if it's passing it. They're passing the Senate and they're trying to... It passed in the Senate and it's dead in the House. Correct, correct. So, um... But that's, he's that's, telling me Democrats are universally for that, but they got it sitting there dead in the House right now. No, 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 no. I'm saying that the, the mainstream view on this, I believe, is universal background checks. It's not about saying we don't want anyone to have a gun. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right. Well, I, I, I can tell you... Um, uh, Mike Schuyler, it was a pleasure having you on, and we definitely have to have a part two because there's so much more that we can discuss. And uh, Jeff, I, I, I can sure you you agree. We definitely had a a good conversation tonight with Mike Schuyler. Very spirited. Thank uh, you, guys. Yeah, absolutely, for, absolutely. For and, uh, and, and I do uh, look forward we, to, we, to rolling out. Oh, thank thank you, Jeffrey. I do look forward to rolling out more of our you know policy positions. Uh, and as we move, move forward with this, uh, making an announcement about, uh, you know, the future after the election. But let's get through uh, let's get through November and, and, and see where we are. OK, well, well let, let's, let's hope we still let's hope we still got our communities after November. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I think we need to work hard and, and you know, and ensure we still have uh, <laughs> a good country to live in. Exactly. I think we're better than that. And I think the American people uh, want a sense of normalcy. What we're seeing now is, is chaos. It's like organized confusion. And I think it's time to, uh, to, for us as the people to come out and put us back on the right track. This is, you know. Yes. And it starts with conversations like these. I think coming together, right, discussing issues, uh, right. Be, giving each other space to even disagree a little bit and challenge each other. I think that's fine. That's what we need. Uh, we can disagree without being disagreeable. Exactly. Yep. All right, everyone, on that note, we're out of here. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you, guys.